Hello, I'm Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and despite all my warning, you're listening to Microphones of Madness. That's the sign that we're on the air, apparently. Hey, everybody, Saturday night. It's your phone. It's my phone. Fucking phones. Uh, Saturday night, Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Of course, there's Steve. I'm not Rodney. And as always, Kim. I am Rodney. No, you're not. You don't. You don't want to be Rodney. People sneaking around in the background. Wow! Jump the fence. Yeah, baby fence. Uh, it is the first of October, 2016. Tonight we'll be talking about the second half of Return of the Old Ones, an anthology of Lovecraftian apocalyptic fiction edited by Brian M. Sammons and published by Dark Regions Press. Before we get to that big announcement, if you've been watching the show for any length of time, you know Milton Davis and Balagan Ojitade are like our man crushes. And uh, they have recently... Uh, I think what just today, midnight. Midnight was the launch of the Kickstarter for Key Conga, the role playing game, uh, Sword and Soul role playing, set in the original Key Conga universe. Guys, the links is in the description. Go check it out. Uh, they are three fifths of the way, over three fifths of the way, done with their initial goal. So hopefully after tonight, everything else will be stretch goals. Yeah, and they got some pretty. They got some stretch goals to make you say "Sweet Christmas." <laughs> That's right. Luke Cage also came out this week. Yeah, Luke Cage also came out on Friday. We've been watching it. It's been it's been a fun ride so far. I am probably the only person left who hasn't watched it yet. The only person in the world. Unless you yes. don't, except for my me. kids have not watched it, and I'm probably not going to let them. Hmm. Actually, I know I'm not going to let them. So, okay, then let's say the only adult in the world. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so the link to the Key Conga Kickstarter is in the description. Go check it out. That's Gwen. She wants you to go there. You could hear it in her cry. Key Conga. Key Conga. Key Conga. Um. Also, Luke Cage is on Netflix now. Check it out. I think uh, we're going to have it in November. We'll be doing a discussion of it. That way everybody's seen it. We can skip the spoilers and just talk about how awesome it is. All right. Uh, so, speaking of awesome. Speaking of awesome, here's the second half of Return of the Old Ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were only nine stories in this half. There were 19 total. We did 10 last week, doing nine this week. A few of these uh, were really short, too. Yeah, a few. A couple of these were really short. Um, yeah, so quick impressions of the second half. Kim. It kicks ass. Take a lily, go homunculi. <laughs> go team homunculi. Mm-hmm. All right. What about Steve? What do you got, Steve? Um, yeah, uh, I, I thought that a lot of these were pretty good uh, variations on the theme mm-hmm. of 
beyond the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple in here that really like made me go, holy shit, that was great. Yeah. And um, I enjoy saying, holy shit, that was great. So, But you're supposed to say sweet Christmas. Yeah, you know, I can't just do that. My catchphrase is holy shit. So <laughs> that's why I'd have to be in Dark Horse rather than Marvel. Holy shit! <laughs> holy shit, Batman. Um... Yeah, I mean, overall, there were there were quite a few in the second half of the book that that my notes were basically just uh, I just basically ex over. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. There, you know, it's funny because um, there was a lot more experimenting with form in the mm-hmm. second half, which is the ex pulver comment right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a lot more experimentation with the form. Uh, the The final section in the Shadow of the Living Gods, I, I found to be the the best section, and you know, really, I, I would like to have gotten more stories in that that section. Yeah, that was also the shortest section. Mm-hmm. It was the shortest section. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we can talk about the the anthology as a whole. Uh, once we get through the stories, so let's uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into it with uh, "Howling Synchronicities" by Constantine Paradis. Uh, we're familiar with Constantine's work. Uh, yeah, it was except now I'm going to embarrass myself. No. Oh, it was it was Cthulhu the bloated Sapa. lady, yes, in Cthulhu Sapa. Yeah, one of the one of the better stories in Cthulhu Sapa. Which is saying. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, this particular story, Howling Synchronicities, man, it was that was that story was bleak. Yeah, <laughs> it was. As a matter of fact, um, I remember your message <laughs> from after when you read that, and yeah, I, I'm just like, fuck, man. Yeah. This was kind of like, um, remember Nameless? Mm-hmm. Reminded me a lot of Nameless, mm-hmm. only a little bit more, like, accessible. Because Nameless at the end got really fucking tripped out, psychedelic Grant Morrison, like, what the fuck? Right. And this definitely, you knew what the fuck. And that was a <laughs> bad what the fuck. Yeah. But... You know, ironically, everything that I said that I thought was a cliche in a lot of Cthulhu stories did not happen in this story. Right. And you had indifference to the point where even the the universe was indifferent to the gods. <laughs> it was like across the board indifference. Total bleakness. Um, yeah. It, it definitely is not a story you want to fucking read during a down cycle. Uh, you definitely don't want to read this when you're having a rough day. Um, yeah, I mean, and I was kind of having a rough rough week as it was already, and then I read this story, and I was like, <sighs> and 
literally had to walk away from the book for a while. Um, actually, I think I stopped reading for the day. Yeah, there was like after a point, story. There was a point in this story where, like, they were following the progress of one of the characters, and she, um, her her whole thing just got crushed by a cave-in. And at that point, it's not a spoiler because it's not like a, a point A to point B plot thing. It's kind of mm-hmm. like impressions from above and it yeah. follows these little vignettes. And one of them, you were kind of like, well, that's kind of cool. That's kind of a ray of hope and everything. And then... Smack. Yeah. Just yeah, so, so basically, you know, and, and I'll drag Kim into this in a second here because I she's sitting over there. She's like trying to hide. I see I'm her moving off the camera. Um, yeah, basically, what you get is you get a cosmonauts. He's like Major Tom is, is floating above the Earth and just kind of backwards and forwards in time, zooming out, zooming in, and 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 really, this would make a Really, it was a very visual story in addition to being bleak. And it would make an interesting short film. And and I say short film because, you know, you want to talk about, you know, the visceral reaction that, you know, I, I quit reading after this and had to go sit down. Um, yeah, you couldn't take 90 minutes of this. Well, the, the, first, the first thing that happens is a dead dog. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't get any more depressing than a dead dog. Sorry. Spoken like a true dog lover. Mm. All right. Now we're going to drag Kim in. Come on. <laughs> get in here. Well, I'm, I'm going to be the odd person out here and, and say that I, I thought this story was really cool. I didn't get the the downer from it that you guys did. Mostly because I kind of have a nihilistic view of the universe as it is. So I was like, kind of able to take it more in stride. Like, we all know that everybody's going to die one day. It might as well be this way. Or it might as well be doing that. You know? And I, I did like the way it, it gave us the points, the different vignettes, the points of view. And I mm-hmm. liked the method of ushering in the old ones by using killing words. I thought that was cool. The voice. Yes. First things in the Bible say first there was nothing and then there was the word. Well now it's the word and then nothing. It all goes to shit after the word. If you if you speak the universe into creation with Aleph, then it only makes sense to uh, undo the universe. Well, I I don't remember what the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet is, but for the mythology I'm more familiar with, to create the universe with an Om, you have to end the universe with a Hum. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that was an interesting little little part he threw in there. Um, 
I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't happy about all of it. <laughs> but Tim was reveling in the showers of blood. Well, yes. you know, truth, truthfully, though, <laughs> truthfully, if you were, you know, if you read, if you read this story and you, you know, had a warm feeling in your chest, I'm, I'm not really sure if I want to know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Got a bit of a thing, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so yeah, that was Howling Synchronicities. Um, mm-hmm. Next up on the list is Chimera by Sam Gafford. Um, I started with that, so we're we're gonna we're gonna let Kim continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, to negate everything I just said about <laughs> not getting high off of this. I did get high off this one. <laughs> I, this was one of those few that I was actually cheering on the apocalypse guy. Well, <laughs> because his stepfather was the biggest douchebag in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did get a warm, fuzzy feeling off of this one. <laughs> Ky- yeah, I, I, see, I, I see what you mean. And... <laughs> And I, I thought I thought Gafford included some really interesting elements to the story, like uh, you know the the dream pattern synchronization between the the patients and we've seen just, that before. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, I think Gafford has like a number of clever references in here, and they're clever. They're not dropped for. There are a few that are like, okay, it's coming. Mm-hmm. But there are a few that if you look a little bit deeper, they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that plot point that Kim had mentioned, Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. If you look at the character, the Harbinger's name and what he is, and I kind of read this as a retelling of Dun- Dunwich. Right. But revenge based instead of whatever Dunwich was based. <laughs> um, that William could be a substitute for Wilbur mm-hmm. because his uh, more you know because his dad Wilbur, Wilbur being Wally. Go ahead. Oh no no because his dad yeah. was definitely not of this earth. <laughs> right. Right, you don't even remember your, and so they get stuck with fucking douchebag cop. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and and yeah. there's there's even that little aspect, you know, little teases of of like a murder mystery type of thing, mm-hmm. and you know, and there's there's that aspect to it, and even though the cop's a douchebag, his partner's good. Right, I, I like the characterization of his partner. True Detective season one vibe in there yeah. a little bit, yeah. You know, and I like the yeah, way. I mean, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go I ahead. was just going to say I like the way he used the italicized news broadcasts to kind of uh, mm-hmm. give you a feel for what else was happening in the world at large, and right. some some of it right. is very topical. There was at one point. He had this list of crappy things that were happening, and all he needed to do was add um, a cop shooting an unarmed black man, and you could have been watching the evening news. Oh, yes. That's true. 
It's true. And well, you know, probably would have been one of the main characters in this case. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, set in Arkham, of course, you know, and, and Arkham just becomes this real shitbag town in the modern era. It would almost have to be. So much crap happens in Arkham. You know, actually, come to think of it, this this is not the first time you know I've I've seen Arkham referred to this almost Gotham style city when it's brought into more modern era. I remember one of the first Joe Pulver works I read was to live and die in Arkham. Oh, and and that was you know basically you know they could have taken place in the same version of Arkham. Um. You gotta wonder what it's like to raise kids there. I feel like you, know, you, gotta, you gotta wonder yeah. about like Arkham preschool. No, but it'd be like raising kids in Flint or Gary, Indiana, or you know New Haven, Connecticut, anywhere. There's going to be people who just can't fucking leave because they just can't. Right. There's there's no viable way you can get out. And and um. In, in Arkham, in, in, is is a, is worse than a lot of these cities because it's it's Sunnydale, California, as well. You know, it's got a fucking hell mouth or something. Not only, <laughs> not only has manufacturing in the area collapsed, reality itself <laughs> has collapsed. <laughs> Arkham exists in this like you know, That's- Arkham is like the shit stain on planet Earth. Economically and spiritually depressed. Yeah. And yeah, nobody will. Nobody wants to live there, but people have yeah. to live there, and they get the hero that they deserve. Jeffrey the cop. And Jeffrey the cop. There is still a church on every corner, but not the usual. It's the esoteric order of Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, wisdom. First esoteric, first star church of Starry Wisdom, Arkham. Like, uh, yeah, keep on driving. Yeah, keep on driving. What was that from the, you know, the Supergirl um, thing? Fuck this, I'm moving back to Innsmouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. We're moving back to Innsmouth. Let's see. Next up is The Last Night on Earth by Edward Morris. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna go to Steve this time. Yeah, this one was, man, I've eaten acid and had better times. <laughs> <laughs> this was very, very um, word salady. This is one of the ones that was um, playing around with the form. Mm-hmm. So my take on it is, you have the uh, perspective of someone who may be a child or possibly a developmentally disabled adult who has impression, mm-hmm. who are just basically recording the impressions of what is happening during the Mego apocalypse. Yeah, I, yeah, um, I kind of got got the, the, the idea that this person might be like a teenager. That's the impression that I got. But like a small, like well, a small town teenager? Teenager, developmentally disabled adult. There's really no difference. 
<laughs> Spoken like a parrot. <laughs> um, but it is told in like little small outbursts and observations. It's very matter of fact, but it's very, it comes from a perspective that has no context. Right. Which is why I want to say child or developmentally disabled person, because there's no cultural context with this. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like the narration is unhinged and floating above the action of the story. In, in a way, yeah, there is a certain, seems like a certain degree of a detachment there. It's almost, it's almost as if you're walking down the street and this book just falls out of the sky and at your feet and you open it up and it's this journal. It's like scribbled in pencil or whatever. Crayon. And it's, in crayon. it's in, okay, crayon. Burnt sienna. I, I thought they actually said pencil in the story. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and you just pick it up and you just start reading and it's just these random snippets of thought with, like, as you said, there's no context. There's no, like, there's no narrative framing or anything. It's just, here it is. This is the description of the last night on Earth as told from this character's point of view. Then my mother's face fell into the dirt. Mm -hmm. Just her face. And she walked away. Yeah. Right. My mom's wax face. That one, that got me. Yeah, there's really some very interesting surrealistic imagery. Uh, one of the things, I'll, I'll tell you, this one was on the short side, and it was one of the few that I read aloud uh, because there were no customers at the time. And it has a very lyrical quality to it. Like there's a certain meter to the way that it's written. And rather than say like some of Howard's um, raving protagonists. This is also almost, almost like written like kind of a litany. You know, the repetition of phrases, just the 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 meter. And as I was reading aloud, I found my head just kind of doing this number while I was reading, just following the beat of the story. Mm-hmm. And and really, you know, it's one of it's it's. The, with a story that's written like that is uh, sometimes the beat is what takes you through the story rather than the plot, rather than characterization. Right. It's like reading a poem or, and I guess you could call it a prose poem. There's some, way. there's some actual like deep stuff that goes on in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, the night that nothing came before and this came after. Like, Think about that. Nothing came before. So everything that happened, you're actually up to a zero mark at this point. Mm-hmm. So anything that happened prior didn't exist. Never happened. Didn't right. happen. Didn't exist. Mm-hmm. The past. So like this, this invasion, this scenario of apocalypse erases the past as well. Like It's crazy. Right. It- it, it it occurs at, at an ever present now and expands and, in both directions. And you almost couldn't write that in a straight story prose. It would be no. you'd have to be a master to pull that off and and get your idea through. But 
if you do it like this in like a prose poem situation, you can let the reader go with run with it and and jump to his or her own conclusions. So very clever. Anything to add, Kim? Nope. It's all good. <laughs> they did mention like, Yeah. They did uh there was a nod to the black man with the horn. Yep, there is. Yeah, I saw that. No, I, I, I like still haven't read, but I need to. Oh, it's a great story. It's a yeah. great story. Uh, it's in Cthulhu 2000. Also mm-hmm. made I think a Mountain Walk. Book of Cthulhu 1. And um, a Mountain Walk. Mm-hmm. Okay. By Dark Regions Press. <laughs> what was that? That was me saying, yeah, Dark Regions, bitches. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, right. I was plugging one of their other books during us plugging this current book. You know, you like, yeah. we want free stuff from Dark Regions Press, don't we? <laughs> sure, sure. Sure! Free is my favorite price. Yes. It's, what I'm, it's what I can afford most of the time. Free is when mm-hmm. you don't have to pay for nothing or do nothing. Now, next up on the list, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Kim actually, like, do this because I know that Steve and I are going to take over the discussion of this. And that is The Incessant Drone by Neil Baker. Take it away, Kim. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all... No spoilers. Yeah. I, 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 I will say right up front that I did not see the end coming. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that at all. And... I thought it was really cool because the main character is a female fighter pilot. Thumbs up for me. And let's see what else I got here. I did find it amusing that they treated the apocalypse like a reality TV show. Yeah. I mean, the, the guys behind the scenes who were commanding the... These were... What, what were these things? Um, oh, geez. Thrashers? Yeah, Thrashers. Thrashers. Like big giant behemoths who are coming through and wrecking things. Mm-hmm. Well, we got air pilots who run, f- who fly fighter jets who are actually pretty good at taking these things on. And their hero is a female fighter pilot named. Dang it, what is her name? Hot, Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff, yeah, but her actual name. Their call sign. They, they refer oh, well. to her as her call sign most of the yeah. time. Hot Stuff, that's good enough. And so these guys, they are like behind the scenes. They're saying, okay, this camera needs to go here and so on and so forth. And yeah, that's a great shot. And that's a money shot. And I just, mm-hmm. that, that was a crack up for me. Yeah. And yeah. That's now, a really fun one for me. Now I had a lot of fun with this one too. In fact, I can, I can best describe this story as, would you look at the size of that thing? Cut the chatter red too and get set up for your attack <laughs> run. <laughs> and it did. It it really felt like it was opening up like a version of the trench run in Star Wars. And they I mean Neil just he sets it up. There's all these different aircraft all converging on this giant thing. Right. You've got the the commanders at the base watching it. It's like the Thrasher will be materialized in three minutes, 
and and stuff like that. And it just go and it's going back and forth just like that. And you know, and it is, and it has that same kind of that same kind of pacing. And the wing commander Moses, you know, as I was reading his dialogue, I was reading it in the voice of Red Leader the entire time, and I was really hoping at one point he was going to be like, you know, cut the chatter. Got the chatter, jackalope. <laughs> <laughs> There's no jackalope in the story, but. <clears throat> but also, you have kind of a kind of a Luke Skywalker parallel with hot stuff. You know, being the one who made the lucky shot to realize, oh, we can kill these things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, and she's almost a figurehead at this point. No one yeah. said great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Yeah, that was one. Let's let's go home. Yeah, I mean that's and then Chewbacca never got his medal. Yeah, Chewbacca never got his medal. You know, C three PO standing there like, what's going on? They wiped my memory again. Um, yeah, and and the twist at the end. Uh, I really like that. Um, I, I've seen something similar. It's almost. Had the um, well, I can't really, I can't really say where 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 it reminded me of, because that would give it away. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, you can't give away this ending. Yeah, you, you really no. can't. Not even, not even with, with a reference. No. Now, I'll tell you what I liked about it. Mm-hmm. All those things, yes, but even more so, this was his own story. This yeah. wasn't, um, you know, Cthulhu coming back or any of that stuff. I mean, nope. this was like what things like what King does, Stephen King, Gene Wolfe, or Philip K. Dick. They take the concept of cosmic horror mm-hmm. and, and, and the bare bones of what it means to them. And then they construct their own universe, their own world, their own situations using those principles. And it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep, this one, uh, I would say this one so far is, is one of the big winners of this anthology. Yeah, definitely top top five, yeah. if not more. And it's, it's the last, that is the last story in the section of Where Were You When the World Ended. Yes. Which is quite appropriate. Yeah. That, very much, very much. Um, yeah, so that was The Incessant Drone by Neil Baker. So now we are in the final section of the book, In the Shadow of Living Gods. And these are post-apocalypse stories. Um, We're going to start off with Breaking Point by Sam Stone. And we'll go with Steve. Yeah, so the way you felt about Constantine's story Mm -hmm. is the way I felt about this story. Right. This was just like, oh my god, I can't deal with this shit. Right. I mean, yeah. it was. I understand it's the apocalypse. There's a uh, star spawn and different things running around, and a scenario like this is definitely, um, you know, in the realm of possibilities. It's just not a possibility. 
I guess that makes it all the more horrible is because it is so disturbing mm-hmm. with the subject matter and uh, it really it just it, it, I didn't read anything for a day or two after I, I read this yeah yeah Kim unlike you I needed something else to latch on to right after this I I nearly had to walk away from this one. Um, I'm just going to come right out and say it. It was about a couple of post-apocalyptic prostitutes, basically. And, which, I mean, you understand there have always been prostitutes. There always will be. Even after probably the end of society, there will be. So... I could almost see something like this honestly happening. What got me was how into it the, the author got. How descriptive of what was happening to these two women. Mm-hmm. That was what really got me on this. That's what almost made me walk away and throw my Kindle against the wall or something. Ooh, don't throw your Kindle against the wall. Wouldn't have been good. Wouldn't have been good. <laughs> And, yeah, I, I needed something to latch on to right after this to just discard what I had just read. Um, you know, I mean, honestly... If, if, I, if there was a deal-breaker in this book, I think this might have been it. Yeah, um, I, I pretty much had the same reaction. I mean, this was, this was another one I had... For a second, I, I thought I, you were going to say, I really like this <laughs> I would have unfriended you immediately. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's like, mm. um, yeah. I mean, I, I was I read this, and you know, and I was kind of like pumped because I read this one immediately after reading the Incessant Drone. Um, you know, and I was pumped after that, but I was like, oh wow, wow. And then I I read this one, and it was just like back in the hole, and. And I'm going to refer to this as the sea hole from now on. The Cthulhu hole. Uh, I'd call this one the Henty hole. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's there's that sort of element to it. But, yeah, it's, it's another one that was, you know, you're kind of, like, forced to watch. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, I, I really did. Ha- and, and like you, I needed a palate cleanser as well after reading this one. And, um, yeah, I went and watched a guy play Civilization Five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's how far away I had to get, was, was watching someone play Civilization. Um, and, and, and also an interesting twist. <laughs> I would actually want to read more of her works. Um, just to see if this is like the norm or if this is like, you know, um, abhorrent to what she does. Yeah. Uh, again, this, this story is very visual. Uh, Sam Stone. There's a lot of detail in this. A lot, a lot of detail and, and not just in 
the the prostitution scenes. I mean, there's there's a lot of richness to the world itself. I mean, yeah, the, you know. I mean, it's don't get me wrong, it's good writing because uh, I wouldn't have said I wanted to check out more of her stuff. Right, right. If it was crappy writing, it was good writing. It's just the subject matter with that. I don't know. Maybe I'm approved, but it, you know, it's just a little. It's a little hinky to me. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, this this idea of, um, shoot, I had the phrase for it, um, reluctant consent, I guess. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that fits. You know, and 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 you know, you had that with the the main character, and then you had the 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 secondary character, Mai, who. Hers was much. She was much more on the reluctant side, right, than on the consent side. And there's also and, the fact that she is a lot more physically delicate than her friend. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're watching this happen to a 12 year old girl, which just makes it all the more horrifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and um, but here's the thing. But the fra- the framing device of the narrative, you know, the world that was built that this type of stuff happens in, and you know, this this is for survival, right? Right. Um, and that that being the big theme here, and of course, it's the opening of the in the shadow of living God section, right? And it, and the thing is, it's not like this kind of thing. Obviously, people don't get um, have tentacle sex. In reality, but this kind of situation happens all the time. It's not like an Mm -hmm. unknown thing. People do have reluctant prostitution or reluctant willingness happens in the real world. Right. People have to make choices. And, you know, it's, it's, and maybe that's why it hits home so much because it's not, you know, it's not like a porno. Right. Right. And it's not, I don't think it was intended to be erotica. No. Mm -hmm. There's there's no titillation going on here at all. I mean, it's just stark and bleak. Yep, very much so. Moving along. Yes, please. Uh, next is The All Clear by Edward M. Erdelak. Forgive me if I've mispronounced your name, Edward. Um, my only note here, well done, exclamation point. And the exclamation point is larger than the rest of the letters. Ah, see now, this might have been my favorite one. Yeah, that's just pretty darn good. I, this is I, what I, I jumped into right after reading that last one, mm-hmm. and I was glad that I did. Yeah, this one, this one has a lot of really great elements. Um, you know, you have a society that's isolated, and this mythology has grown up around around fairly common things and it was it was almost almost humorous the way some of these concepts uh played out like um you know the quest for the potus right the potus will save us the potus will save us and and how and you know the the scion of tist you know, and, and the pox and, eclipse, and uh, yeah, the pox eclipse, Ellie Vader, and mm-hmm. the Ray Dio. Well, have you ever read Ridley Walker? 
that not that I recall. A lot Same. of Ridley Walker in here. It's about a you know post-apocalyptic society um, after a nuclear war, and the society that that develops is basically at the hunting hunter-gatherer level. Right. But they have like certain, um, I guess, memories of the pre-war times. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of very similar. If you like stream of consciousness science fiction stories, read Ridley Walker. Yep, old fucking book. Um, yeah, but yeah, this one was really entertaining. Um, had a little bit of had a little kind of a Fallout vibe to it. Um, Penultimate Truth by Philip K. Dick, <laughs> where you have an underground society and. Um, it's kind of the opposite because in that one they're trying to, the powers that be are trying to prevent you from right. going up mm-hmm. instead of sending somebody up. So just so everybody is clear, we have an underground society um, for a very long time have existed post um, what post nuclear apocalypse. Right. And every year they send a scout up, and during that the year. From the last scout to the new scout, that scout is the king. Mm-hmm. They eat the best food. They can they can have sex with whoever they want. They can do whatever they want, and then they go up into elevator, the elevator, in this big ceremony, and they just see if there's still radiation. To see if right. they can go back up. They're they're so looking far, for the ever returned. and. I'll tell you what, if this story were in a collection that didn't have Old Ones or Cthulhu in the title, mm-hmm. that ending would would come at you. Yeah. It's, it's very Twilight Zone. Very, very much a, like a classic Twilight Zone kind of story. Yeah. Um, now, did you, did you have anything to add, Kim? No, except that I, as I went through, I kind of made a list of all the the play on words that were in there, mm-hmm. and there was just a whole like laundry list of them. It was funny as hell. Yeah, like there was so, FEMA, F V E M A. The primary goal of FEMA is to protect lives and to reduce proper tea loss from disasters and emergence. Right. To accomplish this, FEMA works with state and local governments. To help them deliver some effective emergency management services, <laughs> management service. <laughs> and right. she's reading. She's reading all this off like a like a hymn. Well, she has like to. The, she's illiterate. Yeah, right. she's she's memory. She's reciting it from memory. She she learned it the same way I learned my Torah portion from my bar mitzvah. Uh-huh. Just wrote. Don't know what it means. Just wrote. Memorization. Just say these yeah. words and you're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say the magic words. Uh, next up on the list, number 17, Keeper of Memory by Christine Morgan. Um, this one reminded me of uh, Endangered Species a little bit. A couple stories in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to, I was hoping you would react that way because, yeah, it did. It felt very Gene Wolf. Yeah. It definitely has that vibe, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I, I like the, the, the setup, and it's like the – once again, you know, in the distant future past the apocalypse of the old ones. Right, well, this is how people are coping. Mm-hmm. Like the whole – this section is how people are coping with what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we've seen, you know, like Breaking Point is fairly recent. Right. And the all clear is – Couple Two, hundred years, yeah, two hundred fifty, something like that. This is a mo- couple millennia. Yeah, keep your memory is like millennia ahead. Um, yeah, and and it has uh, once again that that you know myths of the the world of before. Um, I like the toys. Well, how cliche is it? How cliche cliche is it for someone to say? Well, archaeologists think of us a thousand years from now. Right. So that, there you go. That's there you go. Us. Batman and Superman dolls. <laughs> and Barbies. And Barbie ancient, Barbie dolls. ancient fertility goddess. Yes, with her perfect body and perfect waist. And... Yeah. And, yeah, I mean. I it's... think there was a My Little Pony in there as well. Yeah. or, or oh, but There was like a unicorn. Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, Twilight Sparkle was in there. And and uh, or apple butt, apple butt's not a unicorn. Your oh. girl's not old enough for you to have a a pleasure of watching hours and hours of the ponies. Uh, Malcolm, Malcolm watches hours and hours of ponies, but he he calls it apple pony. butt. Apple butt's an earth pony. Earth pony. Yeah, that's like regular. That's like baseline pony. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Well, okay. So just just so you'll get get the reference. This is how the the you know not to not to distract from Christine Morgan's story, but Apple Butt came to be because I have maybe seen forty five seconds of My Little Pony. Uh, and Malcolm has watched Malcolm's my middle son. He's three. Uh, he's watched tons of it. He, he even has a few of the little horses that he plays with, with Gwen. Not horses. They're ponies, man. Uh, See, that tells you what I know. Well, it's called my little pony. So come on. And, and one day, I don't know what this pony's actual name is. It has an apple on its butt. Applejack. Apple, thank you. Um, Malcolm brings Applejack over to me. There are and, like three or four ponies that have apples on their butt. Right. And, and and I have named all of them with some variation of Apple Butt. Well, they are the Apple family. Yeah. And he hands me Applejack and says, do you know who this pony is? And I look at it, and the first thing that pops into my head is Apple Butt. <laughs> and, and so, therefore, Apple Butt stuck and now Malcolm calls calls him Apple Butt. Her. Her oh. See, I don't even know. <laughs> See, I participate in the life of my child. <laughs> I participate in the life of my child as well. As I just do it on, on with my own rules. <laughs> I just I changed, like of madness. I changed the, the rules. Apple butt. Apple butt. 
Earth ponies. So yeah, keeper of memory. This is what happens. Story. This is what happens when you worship pop culture. Uh, Two thousand years from now, people are going to think that Apple Butt was a fucking fertility goddess. So you're creating your own legacy, people. That's right, and <sighs> and and Batman. Imagine. Hmm. Well, it depends on which Batman. But we. <laughs> it's, it's Neil Adams as Batman. I'm totally down with that. Yeah, but they'll be making up a mythology just to go with the Batman figure. Yeah, you, know, you know, and all the paint will be worn off and everything. So it'll be there just will as, be, there will be then. Honestly, there'll be like twelve or fifteen different Batmen. There will they will not be the same person. They will be different um, deities covering. There will be a pantheon of bats. Right. And the ancient ancestors worshipped bats. Anthropomorphic bats. Um, yeah. Now, now, how about that twist? That was cool. It was a little, a little bit of what the hell just happened. <laughs> there was a yes. little what the hell just happened right there. I had to read it a few times. To um, say what the hell just happened. Yeah. Uh, but I will say one thing. It's all in the name. It's all in the name. It's all in the name. His name is Zaf. It's all in the name. Yeah. That's, That's cool. horror. Yeah. I mean this. This one. I mean, we've we've spoiled enough moments. This will be fucking Applejack stuff. Yeah, with the with the Apple Butt commentary. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that one's a very cool story. I like that a lot. And and following up all clear, perfect. Yeah. So the, these last four or five stories. Is it four or five? Whatever. Um, are like fired on all cylinders. Yeah, six, yeah, it was like it was like the reverse of the opening because the first three did that as well. Right. And now we're back to like, all right. And don't get me wrong, it's not like these aren't bleak stories either, but they're not like Yeah. They're not like they're not like, they're not like wanna, I'm gonna stories. go swallow Ipecac and hope I survive the night. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um so next we have uh, the the story that made me want to read this anthology to begin with. <laughs> I got a little bit of a teaser of it some time ago. This and, is okay, an up your alley story too. Yeah, uh, this one is called "Shout, Kill, Rebel, Repeat" by Scott R. Jones, friend of the show. Um, yeah, man, I I seriously dig this story. Well, I'll tell you what. Because I live chatted Scott when I read it. <laughs> <laughs> you fucker. Um, so if you liked the uh, the Hexentex mm-hmm. and the whole his uh, his organization called the Order and the Narcissus, they are coming back in his uh, next issue of Weird Book. He has a another story that will have 
um, similar. I don't know if the characters will be the same, but the organization will be the same. Right. So there will be more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just just basic premise of the story is, is that, yeah, the, the old ones have returned. Um, and the next generation of humanity, human, human enough. Right. Yeah. Um, has, you know, revolted, essentially. So, so you have what? We have a ghoul, Amigo, a deep one, and I think the main character is an elder thing. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. It's got, or, a dorsal, or, it's got dorsal fins and um, tendrils on his face, side of his face or his right. head. Right. I'm thinking elder thing. Um, yeah, and I... One of the things that I liked about this story is how so much of the little odds and ends of the Lovecraft mythos jumps in and they figured out how to uh, technologize them. Yeah, but none of that's actually Lovecraft. It's all all circle people. All right. that stuff, like Tindalos. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I mean, he instead of like giving homage to Lovecraft, Jones gives homage to the people who were influenced by Lovecraft and right. whose creations are just as um, name droppy, but never get dropped. And, and, and also the, the science fiction side of, right. of the universe. Yeah. I mean, how cool is it that you harness the hounds of Tindalos for commercial time travel? Mm-hmm. Or in this case, rebellion, military time or, travel. or, uh, use the Yith's ability to mind exchange to uh, artificially reincarnate someone. And achieve enlightenment through it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's just, there's so many just cool ideas floating around in this story. And, you know, yeah, it, like like on all, the, all the other stories here, it, it's also... You know, there's it's not a happy ending, but you you kind of like, you know, are drawn to these characters as they're off on their adventure because it, it's a ragtag band of misfits, you know, fighting Going impossible on one odds. Big, big suicide mission, and it's mm-hmm. like it's yeah. every it's every RPG party you've ever taken part in, and it's like. Well, yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely the epic part of it. Um, RPG parties succeed <laughs> sometimes. It depends on what your definition of success is. <laughs> the elevator shaft and the stairwell are clustered with bombs. One false move, and we all die. Acceptable outcome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got through that, and we, we came out on top. Yep. But you know, there actually was a little bit of hope in the ending, just because of the way the story was constructed. Mm-hmm. So the the conceit in the story is that all the time has kind of like mixed up. So they have these characters performing actions on top of actions. Yeah that that was a really interesting interesting little technique that Scott was using when, when the character was describing what he was doing or what they were doing, other characters were doing. It was always this list 
and and all possible outcomes were occurring simultaneously. Right. So, so it's hard to keep up with sometimes. So yeah, I mean, you know, just just the way he framed that particular that particular uh, technique in the story, the story also ended another way. Right. So. Yeah, good, good on that on Scott Jones. This is another one that's really, you know, worth the price of the book, right? Here. And how how yeah. cool is it that a he named the the ship Hasani Sabbath, mm-hmm. had references to uh, word viruses and and uh, William S. Burroughs stuff in there mm-hmm. because that's like Hasani Sabbath was a a big part of Burroughs's mythology, right? And then uh, the ship is a fucking conglomeration of whales. At one point, they were whales, yeah. Right. And I, that's actually why I, I originally texted him, was to um, clarify a point about the whales. Was it supposed to evo- like evoke images of Moby Dick? Because that's, you know, a whale. If I'm reading about a whale, the first thing coming to my mind is Moby Dick. First thing coming to my mind is the... Uh, Infinite Improbability Drive. And actually, the Infinite Improbability Drive um, occurred to me all throughout this story, with, with especially when Scott was doing that thing where all of these different actions occurred simultaneously. Right. If, if, <laughs> if uh, the, the, the Heart of Gold was a grim, dark ship. Yeah, all that, was, all that was missing was just a random bowl of petunias. Right. Mm. But those petunias would have been on fire. <laughs> the petunias would have said the same thing they said in Adams. Not again. <laughs> See, I, I kept thinking of Event Horizon on this one. Really? What it's makes like, you think of yeah. Event Horizon? Well, because, it, I mean, just the way that things were happening in that movie. Mm-hmm. And how insane everything was, and how it could drive you insane just like that. Mm-hmm. And this was also taking you to impossible places, doing impossible things to you. And its very it core was an impossible thing. And it's like, just, yeah. Now, I, I will also add to this um, that the soundtrack was, was by Seal. Not in my mind. No. Yeah, man, never going to survive unless we get a little crazy. Not in my mind. There's a, there's a passage. In my mind, nothing has the soundtrack to Seal ever. Ever. Even Seal mm-hmm. doesn't have the soundtrack to Seal. Well, that's your, that's your own damn fault. That's your own damn fault. Not everything is Rainbow and and The Who. And Apple Butt. <laughs> Yeah, some of it's the Art Ensemble of Chicago. Yeah. But never see it. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll split the difference and say Iron Maiden's The Trooper. All right, I'll do that. Hey, right. that song has a Lovecraftian ending. That song's ending is The Mirror, The Mirror, and The Trooper Die. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Because we're on Maiden and we read books and stuff and we write songs about the books we've read. 
He might have actually said something like that when I saw them. <laughs> that might be a direct quote <laughs> from 1987. <laughs> Iron, Iron that, that might be how they introduced the rhyme of the ancient mariner at Meriwether Post Pavilion when I saw that. Right, but in Belly of the Beast, it's this is a song about what to, not to do if a bird shits on you. Right. <laughs> no, no. He this this one. He was like, uh, uh, everybody says that we're Satanists and we write songs about Satan. So we told him to fuck off, and we wrote a song about a poem. <laughs> they were, really. They I don't think they really wrote much of a song about a poem, but the lyrics are pretty much the poem. Yeah, they wrote that. <laughs> it's the rhyme of the ancient mariner. All right, so. <laughs> hey, I, you know. Hey, you can, work, help you can work for LibriVox. Iron Maiden helped me pass English in high school, so. There you go. All right, so, so we've gone way into the future. And now for the final story, Cody Goodfellow reminds us that the future is the same shitty fucking world we live in today. He really does. <laughs> so yeah, the last story is Strangers Die Every Day by Cody Goodfellow. And just for saying that, you all have to drink because that's the title of a butthole surfer song. Butthole surfers are not classic rock. Uh, by now they are. Um, yeah, but still, after after referencing uh, Rainbow and Iron Maiden, the audience is already drunk. <laughs> so let's um, kill them. I yeah. Mean, isn't that the goal, right? The old ones come back, everybody dies. Everybody dies. No. All because of the butthole servers. No. And now... This is a, this is another. We're gonna jump back on the topic for a second here, and we got time to get off the topic in a second. How dare you? How dare I go back on topic? People are trying to be entertained. They can be entertained by Cody Goodfellow. They can. <laughs> they can, but only if you buy this book. That yes. is correct. Now. We've done Cody Goodfellow in the past, what, three? Uh, yeah, he's been around. Yeah. We've had some Cody Goodfellow. And, yeah, this is a, this is a, sol- I mean, this is a solid narrative. Very much a detective story. It's a very noir kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah, except our, our characters are rather strange. Well, the setup in this one is the, the Cthulhu apocalypse happened mm-hmm. and then stopped, <laughs> leaving all the effects of, of reality warpage, but without the actual beings present. Right. Yeah. Instead, I mean, the, this, this the story, apocalypse. The, well, it, it reminds me of the it's a different take on the concept of indifference. That the old ones returned, warped reality, and left, 
and pretty much, you know, everything proceeded on as normal. Right. So it's kind of funny because if you are a religious person today, that's kind of what it's like. Mm-hmm. Because in the long ago, you know, there were burning bushes and golden showers and all that jazz. And now there's nothing. And, and if there is something, thorns. if there is something, you're a politician or you need to go to the, the fucking nut house. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that the villains of the piece are not the usual suspects. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to like spoil it for anybody, but if you think of this as a weird Raymond Chandler book, mm, very, you kind of get the picture of, of what this is. So mm-hmm. you have a detective story with a convoluted plot, very big sleepish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, I, I don't know if it's a direct nod, but there's a, there's a certain point early on in the story that's very similar to something that happened on Constantine. Mm-hmm. Um, just minus the light bulb. <laughs> but it's, um, it's definitely a different take on everything, and it's a shitty place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, once you're there, it's kind of like being here with just the rules of physics being a little bit different, right? And people biology. are a little bit, people, yeah, biology is different. The rules of physics are a little bit different. Um, you know, things, but things are very much the same. And, yeah, it's, it's very noir-like. Um, the elements that are different are still used in this this very mundane sort of way. So so you get the this, this whole vibe of just, yeah. Wrongness. You know, and yet well, the sameness. Yeah. It yeah. Kind of like when you when you wake up on a Friday. Twin Peaks. Saturday. Mm. I don't know. We'll have to let Wes be the judge of that since since Wes is a big Cody fan and, and a big Twin Peaks fan. And a big Twin Peaks fan. So hmm. Wes, right. you'll have to give this book. I've never watched Twin Peaks. What? Yeah. I oh my gosh! Don't particularly care for David Lynch. Oh, wow! Does that mean I get to have my nerd cred taken away? Because you can have it. <laughs> I like no. Dune. Yeah, Dune was all right. I like Anthrax's song "Black Lodge," which is about Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pardon me again. And so, I'll go on record saying Eraserhead bored the shit out of me. There you go. All right. So overall impressions. Who wants Big to go thumbs first? Up. No toes? Uh, one toe. One toe? Just because of that possible deal breaker. That was... Yeah. Well, here's the thing. That was the only thing that really... 
got me that would make me possibly not want to buy this book, although everything else was enough to totally make me want to buy this book. So there's 19 stories in, in this anthology. Mm-hmm. Considerably more of them, in my opinion, were better, were good than not good. Right. And even the ones that I didn't like, that's, that's a personal taste. It's not like anything was crap. Right. Right. Nothing was like poorly written, poorly executed. There were just some things that may be beyond my comfortable threshold of bleakness. Mm-hmm. So, and here's, it's, it's an anthology. Right. You can skip a story. No one's right. ever going to know. Right. Unless, well, you're, get one unless you're reviewing it, then you got to read it all. Right. Right. Unless you're going story by story. Um, yeah, for me, um, you know, I, I agree that there are more good stories than there are stories that I didn't care for. Um, my my caveat to that is, it's like the first twelve stories are are well thirteen. Are, are very tight variations on the theme. And, you know, it was very difficult to read this cover to cover straight through um, because of the, the bleakness. And after a while, you're just like, not again. Now that, that, you know, that I, might I would be a say. Selling point to a lot of people, though. Oh, that might be a selling point. You know, to the people who like their cosmic horror to be pure. Well, it doesn't get much more pure than this. Right. I oh, mean, it's, it's, yes. it, it is. It's it's very bleak. Um, very, very, you know, but I think I've made my opinion on cosmicism as a philosophy known in the past um, when we were talking, particularly when we were talking about Cthulhu Sotball. Right. Um, a little bit on it last week. Yeah, but you know, overall, it's it's really good. But you know, if you know, if you're having a bad day, you're having a, a bad week. If you you know, if you're like me and you have depression, this is not a book to power through. Because you know, I was just like, by the time I finished Constantine Paradis's story, I was like, what's the fucking? I thought you were, I thought you were going to give up. Honestly, because you, know, you, know, you messaged me and you were like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. I was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I I, I honestly had, at, at that time, had gotten of, of my fill of it. I, you know, there was, there was no more I could take. Um, so I, yeah, I had to take a couple days off, you know, watch people play Civilization. <laughs> You know, do do anything else, and I'm I'm going to be honest with you. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a great book. Go ahead and buy it. There's there's lots of fantastic stories in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you and know, it's not all completely utter to, to total gloom and doom. There are little glimmers of hope here and there. You know, if, if you're buying it, you know, if you buy it for shout, kill, rebel, repeat, the keeper of memory. All clear, incessant drone around the corner, and TikTok. You're doing well. No love for strangers die every day. 
All the love for strangers die every day. Come on. Look, man, I can't have it <laughs> perfect. All right? It's not that there's okay, no problem. It's just that, you know. All right, I'm, Apple Buck. Yeah. <laughs> the thorn. <laughs> According to Ross Lockhart, that means home. Well, I forget. Was it was it was it Scott's story that said something you know, to the effect of "What the fathon? Yeah. Oh man, Scott's story had the greatest line ever. Hold on, I can't. I cannot. Let us go. Let us go without the fucking greatest line in any Cthulhu pastiche ever. Not the pastiche. Mean. All right. Well, That's hey. right. Take a lee lee, motherfucker. <laughs> no mush. That's that's yeah. Take a lee lee, motherfucker. That's gonna be that's my new catchphrase from now on. I could just see Rodney in the in the uh, air vent with the grenade. Take a lee lee, motherfucker. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that was that was that was my particular issue. Is that yeah, it just pushed me beyond my bleak threshold. And to be frank, if I hadn't had you know taken a moment for some some palate cleansers, if I hadn't got to see Luke fucking Cage, yeah, man, you know, tell tell Genghis Khani that you know you don't have to hire me, but I promise I got you. You know, that just like I, that I helped. Got, I got that feeling in my throat. Yeah, you know that. I, I got. I, yeah, hope. <laughs> no, more like fuck yeah. I guess that's hope. Yeah, well, yeah, hope, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that this is what this book is designed to do, though. Right. I don't yeah. think that anybody will pick up a book that says that's subtitled. Um, let me get it right. Apocalyptic Lovecraftian tales, right? And think and, that Apple Jack and Rainbow Dash are going to save the world from Discord, right? There, there's, it ain't happening. Yeah, there, there. Going into it, there was no illusion that there was going to be anything, you know, the sunshine and rainbows and stuff. Um, yeah. Molly but, just heard me say that. She's like, "What Discord? Apple Jack? What? You're are reading? You guys talking about the ponies?" <laughs> Uh, join, join us next week when we read Chronicles of Applebutt. I will tell you this: <laughs> the uh, the comic, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic comic, is very clever, very clever, very well written, well done. Lots of references to different sci-fi and fantasy and horror stuff. Mm-hmm. It's cool because you you know a lot of the time you're reading it to your kids. You get to have a little something, something for yourself as well, like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yeah, and you know what? Probably the greatest strength of this anthology, Return of the Old Ones, <laughs> is that friendship is magic. No, it well, yeah, friendship is magic, but um, you know, the, the its ability to uh, generate such visceral reaction. I know, like even. When we were reading similar anthologies, mm-hmm. Dualized Dreaming, uh, Urban Temples, 
Even Cthulhu Sapa, you never had that total plunge into darkness. Right. There were moments. Because, you know, it's Lovecraftian fiction. There's going to be dark moments. Yeah. But not a constant and utter barrage. Right. Right, and and this is the this is the first one that we've read that you know particularly me has has been just like oh fuck this from that existential perspective. Right, but well, I mean that's that's the point, and they did it really well. Salmon's good job with your editing because you mm-hmm. you knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Drove me into the abyss. You depressed the shit out of Rodney. Are you happy? I, I Are stared. You happy? In, I stared into the abyss and it blinked. He is a broken man now, Salmons. Are you happy? Yes, you've destroyed me, Brian Salmons. Destroyed. <laughs> I will have my brood in a corner now. What? I'm gonna no. I'm gonna go stand it. I, I, I got a line. Forming on the right <laughs> to, go, to the gargoyle to go brood over the city. <laughs> but um, yeah, Just limit so, yourself to ten minutes. So yeah, thumbs up. You know, check this book out. Um, I'm actually looking forward to reading the, uh, the the sister anthologies, the Ramsey Campbell tribute, and uh, and the uh, yeah. The, Inhuman. Yeah, inhuman. In human two words. Dark dark science fantasy. Yeah, there's a comma in there. Yeah. Yeah, actually I'm kind of stoked for that one. Um Yeah, I know you're stoked for the Ramsey Campbell tribute. I'm you know, I want to step step away and and do something a little different. Um so yeah, check it out. Pick up this book. Pick up a copy. Um, I don't know when the official release date is. It out yet? It's not the um, the the Indiegogo. Hold on, let me take that. The Indiegogo it, was it, successfully funded. It was successfully funded like at the last minute. Yay! Because mm-hmm. I was uh, I was following what was going on on there, um, like you do when you when you have nothing left. Um, hold on. It's not our fault. He cut it out. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, pick up the book. Uh, It'll be available soon. Just, uh, you know, I think DRP has a mailing list, so you can get onto that and check it out. Yeah, they just finished their pre order um, this morning. Mm -hmm. Finished. So, I mean, you can't jump on the bandwagon now. Right. but I'm, I want to say it ships early, first quarter, 2017. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, once that happens, Dark Regions makes it their books very accessible. Yes, I get email all the time from them. <laughs> Indeed, I tried, to, I tried to take myself off that list, <laughs> but I still get the email. No, I'm just kidding. 
Um, no, but but their backlog is readily available. It's not like a dim shore situation where right. they make fifty copies of the book and that's it. Right. And then it's gone. It's a regular regular release. Yeah. So um, if you missed out on the on the Indiegogo or the pre order, uh, you will be able to to get this book. Yeah. And and speaking speaking of, of books just out, uh, Friday Fungi cast member Pete Rollick sold out of Reanimatrix on Amazon. Yeah. Like in a That's day. Awesome. So dang it, Pete. Yeah, no That's, love, no love for the madman. Yeah, what the fuck, man? It was, it was because we said "damn it, Pete" in the first episode. Ah, <laughs> All right, so we're gonna we're gonna kill it right there. Um, probably for the back. <laughs> so um, yeah, Monday night we'll be back in masks of Nyarlathotep. That's right, Pulp. Pulp and we will be playing it under the Pulp Cthulhu rules. So if you want to check out some uh, new stuff from Chaosium alongside some old stuff from Chaosium, watch Monday Night Heroes and you'll get to see Pulp Cthulhu in action. Um, also, Friday Fungi, what you guys got going on Friday, Kim? Well, we are actually taking a hiatus for the month of October. Ah, okay. It's James... So- that's that's James's busy time. Ah, yes. One and you guys were one and done on uh, Slasher Flick last night. Yes. All right. Did you survive this time. Um, my first character didn't. My second character did. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no no Friday Fun Guy for the month of October. They'll be back in November. Yep. Uh, keep watching this space. And next week we are also off. So there, yeah. All you'll get next week is Monday Night Heroes, uh, and then we'll be back on what is it, the fifteenth of October? Yeah, with the author of this motherfucker. Yeah, we'll have Milton Davis and Balaganoji Tade on the show, so you'll get to see Steve and I get all like fanboyy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Kim's gonna have to do all the talking because Johnny and I are just gonna be like. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Ojinade. Yes, Mr. Davis. <laughs> I'm really psyched to get these guys on the show. We've uh, looked at a number of the books that they put out. We've, you know, I've read the blogs about the game. I'm stoked about this game. And uh, it'd be really cool to have those guys on the show talking about the process of, of making an RPG, uh, getting it funded, because this has been... This hasn't been like a, oh, let's do an RPG. You know, it's been a few years. They developed it themselves. They created a whole source book world for themselves. Mm-hmm. Somebody's vacuuming. And uh, and then after they created it, they ran it by um, someone who, I forget his name, but he worked in um, on a lot of the White Wolf books. Mm-hmm. So to see how it, you know, it, it scanned as a, as a, as a, you know, it's a textbook basically. Mm-hmm. That's what RPG books are; they're textbooks. How it's scanned as a learning tool, right? So I mean, it's professionally done. The artwork, man, I don't know if you've seen some of this artwork. It looks so good. It's really freaking cool. 
and and the game is played with cards. You don't roll dice. You, you use playing cards. Right. And they have art for all the cards. That's one of the stretch goals is getting these uh, card decks made. Nice. Man, it's going to be... I can't even... Yeah. I'm already yeah. starting to fanboy, and it's two weeks away. Yeah. Steve. Steve's already salivating for this game. Um yeah, and that'll be it. And then uh, after the 15th, we'll be doing our October Spooktacular. No. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be discussing and riffing on some uh, classic ghost stories, including the uh, guy who's going to get lots of ribbing, I'm sure, Oliver Onions. Yeah. So be sure to join us throughout the month of October. Rocktober. A lot of exciting things. Rocktober. Um, and then on into looking <laughs> her So, with that said, say take a lily, motherfucker. Take a lily, motherfucker. Take a lily, motherfucker. <laughs> now mush. You can't say that without pretending to be Bruce Willis. Take a lily, motherfucker.